Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hi, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail, and we are the active voice of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Our mission is to showcase vital women between the ages of 70 to 100 plus who shatter the myth that we become irrelevant as we age. These women lead fulfilling lives for themselves and others. Visit our website, womenover70.com, where you can access all the episodes. We also invite you to join our monthly podcast club. And we welcome speaking to your organization or group on Aging Reimagined. If women aging is a market you would like to reach, consider sponsoring an episode. Finally, if you are an author with a book about women, check out our book promotion opportunity. And today we're very pleased to be in conversation with Beatrice Bibi McGee, age 81, from St. Paul, Minnesota. Bibi is a retired senior scientist in the College of Biological Sciences at the University of Minnesota. For more than 45 years, Bibi and her husband, Pete, collaborated on scientific research and helped determine a new genomic sequence. Since retiring in 2007, Bibi's leisure activities center on singing and rowing. She is past president of and still sings with the second oldest feminist chorus in the United States, the Calliope Women's Chorus. She also sings with the Voices of Experience for singers in the Twin Cities over the age of 55, which is offered through the McPhail Center for Music. And Bibi took up rowing at age 54. She continues to row, teaches rowing, and officiates as a referee at rowing regattas. She and Zeb Hintz, episode 81, share a boat. Welcome, Baby McGee, to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. We're really happy to be in conversation with you today. Thank you. I'm happy to meet with you too. Thank you. We would love to hear about what it was like for you as a, a young woman, female in the sciences uh, during the, the 1960s. And, and I think you also have a story to tell us about a recent college reunion. So what was it like back then in that day of being in the sciences? Well, back then in the sciences, I was a chemistry major at Brandeis University. And I was one of three women and two men actually who were science majors or chemistry majors in my class. So we outnumbered them. Uh, The boys went off to be doctors and girls went off to be researchers. One of them ended up being a program manager at the National Science Foundation, which was a pretty good position. I um, went on to graduate school uh, at Berkeley where I met my husband, where I got a master's degree and where I left. We got married, went to France, went to New Haven, went to East Lansing, Michigan State, and then here to University of Minnesota. Through those years, I've worked for other people and finally with my husband over most of those years. When I went to graduate school, 
there were a couple girls in the class and they were ogled by the boys. They were not expected to do well by the professors. And uh, I think only one of us continued. I worked with a man who um, had never had a female graduate student. The story was that his wife didn't allow it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was true, but <laughs> they were afraid of us then. Um, <laughs> the wives were afraid of you then? Yes, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, I, we loved the wives, actually, because they could cook and they would invite us over for mm. meals. At least the husbands would, but the wives would would feed us something which was much better than we were making. Yeah. So that was great. So you've you've you completed a master's degree at Berkeley. Did you start a PhD program? Uh, it would have been a PhD if I had continued. I see. Um, I really decided I didn't want to want to. I really wasn't ready for it. I much preferred to get married. I guess and go to France. <laughs> yeah. So they, um, I got a, what was then a terminal master's. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they said, oh, well, she's not, wouldn't, wouldn't pass the exam, but she's getting married so she can get out. It's okay. I think <laughs> so they left, didn't. <laughs> you left on a high note? <laughs> yes. I, I, when we were in New Haven at Yale, I, I actually tried to go back to, to get my doctorate. And uh, the Yale department said, oh, well, we don't take part-time students. Oh. So hmm. I wouldn't hmm. have had to, would have had to leave my poor little baby at home. Hmm. Yeah. I think now we are much more uh, able to deal with women, mostly, um, the, the university now has couples who are applying for jobs. Mm -hmm. And um, if they want one of the couple, they have to usually take both of them. True. That wasn't the case back in Yale days, though. Certainly uh, not. So you told me that for 45 years or so, you and your husband have collaborated on scientific research. Did that start when you, where did, when did that start? Uh, that started in, in New Haven. Um, the man who I had been working with changed his um, uh, research um, aims, and uh, Pete had just gotten some money, so he needed somebody to work with him, which I did. Uh, he was willing to um, have me work part-time, too. Since it was his children that I was protecting at home, but <laughs> right, um, I worked. I worked part time. Um, I mean, officially part time. Uh, probably the first uh, till the kids were eight or ten. Mm -hmm. We were very lucky in New Haven to find a wonderful woman who was a uh, a nanny who was able to. Um, take care of the children. I have two sons. Um, I lost my train of thought there for a moment. Um, oh, I yeah, this is really important that you and your husband were worked on determining a new sequence. 
Can you tell us about that and and why that's why that was so significant? We uh, we worked on with the yeast Candida albicans, which is the yeast that causes thrush and vaginal infections, and which is potentially deadly um, if you get a systemic infection rather than a commensal, which is what we have uh, as thrush, for instance. It became very important um, with AIDS. Uh, AIDS patients had um, lots of candid infections. And, um, but the organism itself looked very much like Saccharomyces, which is the bread yeast. And people have been studying that. In fact, we had studied that earlier. And, um, but it's not infectious. And so the question was, why was Candida infectious and Saccharomyces not? Mm -hmm. And so it was very important to, to look at the basic biology and to learn uh, the differences. And one of the ways you do that is by looking at the sequence of the organism. Um, back in that, those days, this is 19, uh, I don't know, 90 something, um, sequencing was not the same, not done with the same efficiency as it, it is now. When you talk about sequencing a virus that takes you about three minutes, well, it took us three years to, oh. <laughs> and it's, it's just not, you can get a series of bases, ACAC, but you don't know where it is and you don't know how you put the little pieces together. And so we were involved with the puzzle of putting the smaller pieces and the bigger pieces together, mm. to put them in chains and to put them in the chromosomes. And um, once you have all the pieces put together, you can look and see whether the genes are there that you think ought to be there or which genes are in, in Canada, which are not in Saccharomyces. And you can do all kinds of comparative biology, but you can't do it unless you know what you're looking at. And so we were trying to organize the, the sequence so that people would know what to look for. It was nice because I got to um, find an, the, the, the chromosomal um, background of, of, of uh, Canada and people had genes and they wanted to know where, where, where it sat on the chromosome. Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of projects with labs all over the world trying to map genes and um, have got my name on a lot of papers from, from places like New Zealand or Spain or uh, Canada, um, helping these people with their mapping of their genes. Mm. I, I also should say that um, while they didn't value us, particularly women as graduate students back then, it dawned on them that much later that we should be participating in uh, science meetings. We should be able to have women give talks and be on panels and things. When um, women's lib sort of took over the world, well, it didn't take over the world, but when people were interested in having women participate. So I got invited to some number of meetings um, by these people who I had helped uh, with their mapping. So glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you about what kind of recognition did you did you get for all of this um, significant work 
and being able to um, disseminate it. And um, I think you've, you've answered that in part in terms of working with labs around the world and on their mapping projects and being invited to write pa writing papers and participating and convenings. Is there anything else, any other recognitions that you, that you've got? Oh, I got a, a president's service award at the University of Minnesota. <laughs> well, that sounds I, like a big deal. <laughs> yes, I got a, uh, uh, an award for being the grossest speaker at one of the, uh, one of the little oh. meetings we went to. <laughs> yeah, such an appealing topic. Yeah. Yes. Well, we we found sex in um, in Canada. Albicans was one of our big um, uh, projects, and so you can imagine the kind of jokes you can make about that. Tell tell us what that means. Yes, please. Um, yeah. Uh, Saccharomyces, the, the bread yeast, can um, have uh, two types, the A's and the alphas, and the A's and the alphas get together and make diploid yeasts, and these yeasts can spoilate and make baby yeasts, which are back down to haploid again. And um, this is I mean, I, I, I can't explain it to you very carefully and with quickly, but but it's been very important for understanding Saccharomyces. Saccharomyces is used as a model organism because it's one cell, but it has a nucleus, just as human cells do, and bacteria don't. So it's a small eukaryote, which is very important for understanding biology. Interesting. And because Saccharomyces can do us do this, uh, it was thought, as I think I said, that we're trying to compare albicans to Saccharomyces. And um, one of the ways would have been great to find uh, the A and the alpha types in, in Canada so we could do some of the same kind of manipulations that they did in Saccharomyces. Mm -hmm. um, and you were able to do that? We were able to do that. Uh, yes. Well, I should have we paid more and attention. And another lab did it at the same time in mm -hmm. different ways, which was very important as well. That's wonderful. Was it um, was it difficult to decide? And you and your husband Pete retired in twenty oh seven. Was it was that a difficult decision, or what prompted that decision? Uh, it it was prompted uh, because the grant ran out oh. and uh, we would have had to have applied for a new grant, well, several years before that really. And there were a lot of young people who wanted to get started. We didn't really need to take the money. We had um, an opportunity. We were old enough to uh, retire. Mm -hmm. We had a colleague who was working, several colleagues actually working on the organism and continuing sort of some of our work. So we weren't um, just quitting and, and mm -hmm. leaving a void. There were people who were being able to take up our work. So it wasn't, um, it wasn't, we weren't abandoning the field. Mm -hmm. It must be, feel pretty gratifying then to, 
Um, you, you told me that you went on a retirement tour. Yes. What we was going, <laughs> going to get t-shirts made, the McGee retirement tour like the bands have. <laughs> we went to Ireland. We had some colleagues, wonderful, at the University College Dublin who um, put us up and, and um, we talked to their lab and had a wonderful time. We went to um, New Zealand where we had uh, a friend on the North Island and a colleague on the South Island and the uh, three groups, our group and their group were writing a grant together and writing a big long paper, which took years. Mm. So we just had to go visit them. Of course. Mm -hmm. And um, Pete had a uh, visiting professorship in uh, New Delhi. So we went to India and traveled around there. It was wonderful. And how did you get to Spain? Oh, I think one of one of my colleagues invited me to come to a meeting. And I dragged Pete with and we went over and had, had a good time. He had a friend in, uh, in Portugal. So we spent a week in, uh, in Lisbon working in the lab there or visiting in the lab there. And then we went over to Spain, went to a meeting there. Mm -hmm. Yes. Been some wonderful colleagues all over the world. Are you still in touch with some of these people? Yes. Yes, we, we get a, an annual um, uh, Christmas card from one of our friends, one of our former students in uh, Taiwan. It's uh, just wonderful to see how those uh, people, kids have grown up and to be scientists, it's fun. Some of our former colleagues are on Facebook, of course, and I, mm -hmm. I see them. Mm -hmm. So uh, when we, before we started recording, you told us that you had a really a wonderful experience yesterday. Yes, so uh, they've started a Zoom group of women who were my college classmates. So we graduated uh, in 1962, so 58 years ago, and um, several of them had met up in uh, San Francisco, and then they found out more people and more people. And anyway, there were 25 of these women on the Zoom call yesterday, <laughs> or 20 maybe, and uh, it was really interesting. Um, I knew one of them because she was the one who had told me about this. I've seen her since, but most of them I haven't at all. And um, I don't have my old roommate's uh, uh, um, yearbook. So I couldn't look them up, but I, of course, didn't recognize anybody. As I, as I said earlier, I haven't changed at all, but these women have. <laughs> yes. And uh, what I have found over the years is, is that if you hear them talk, you remember them. Oh. You hear their voices and, and uh, I mean, one of them, I, I, I always thought she was kind of dippy and she was just so awful on this call. She, she, uh, she wouldn't shut up. You know, it's one of these um, people who always thought 
so well of herself and no one else did and so on no one does anymore either it was awful but but um several of them said oh you know i never had a hobby so i'm still working well one of them has recently remarried and i think now they go down to florida in the winter time and she said well i had nothing to do i didn't want to play mahjong so i went over to the local university and i'm now teaching a class or I've taken over a department and I'm teaching um, all about autism, whatever. She, uh, she spends her um, summers in New Haven teaching at Yale and her winters now at Florida teaching. Another one is uh, giving poetry courses uh, through, I guess, through community ed. Mm-hmm. Another one is a realtor. She sells millions of dollars of houses every year. Um, did any of them continue as you did in the sciences? That's what's the No, no. None of them did. Um, oh, interesting. One interesting. of the uh, um, things that I, what I, one of the women said, oh, didn't you used to play the flute? And I said, yes. And she said, well, she and I had played together. And um, I remember her. She was a very good pianist, and we had a lovely time mm. doing duets. Back then. You know, um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And she says she's still playing chamber music around. Mm. So that was nice. Well, you're still involved in music. And we'd love to hear about your your work, your uh, involvement in these two chorus. Yes, so Calliope Women's Chorus, as you said, it was the second oldest feminist chorus in the United States, founded in uh, 1976, I think, um, by a, a group of of women who lesbians who wanted to have a safe space and like to sing. And they are part, really an early part of the, um, the gay music choral scene. Mm-hmm. Um, this year in Minneapolis was supposed to, or the 2020 was to have been the um, Gay and Lesbian Chorus Association convention uh, where there would be like 200 choirs, 800, oh. well, eight, a thousand or so singers. Uh, it's a huge movement. Everybody hears about the gay men's chorus mm-hmm. everywhere, mm-hmm. but there are a large number of women's choruses. Um, and that's been very enlightening for me, um, the music, but also knowing uh, a lot of these women and the problems they have and the problems they have now. It's, uh, I've been in it, I guess, since I retired. And the, um, the singers are getting much younger. I think they're getting much more comfortable with their um, uh, sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, we now have trans singers who are singing with us. So it's been a, a, a terrific evolution in thinking for me. Mm-hmm. The other chorus is through um, McPhail and partially through the Minnesota Chorale, which is the premier 
chorus sings with the Minnesota Symphony. And um, McPhail likes to claim to be, to give music through the ages. They have baby classes and they have us and they have a, um, a Alzheimer's chorus. So it covers a big, big range. One of the fun concerts that we've done is their annual fundraiser luncheon where we are on the stage and then these mothers come out with their babies uh, to sing along with the grand finale. It's just <laughs> That's lovely. a great scene. Lovely. Um, another group that I didn't mention, which I think is very supportive of me and vice versa, are the um, women at the Y, the YWCA. Um, there's an exer exercise class, the uh, Silver and Fit, which uh, is, is designed for older um, uh, members. Mm -hmm. But this group has uh, gone independent and goes on a Wednesday walk around the neighborhood or out to a local park. Or, um, and the... It's, it's a nice group. When I was very sick some years, uh, three years ago, these women were just terribly supportive of visiting me in the hospital and taking me to rehab. And um, being a, a group that works together, some of them play mahjong together, some of them are in a, in a book group, but they are very active and um, uh, fun to be around. That's that's wonderful to hear. Um, you know, my my sister Karen Karen Marino referred us to you. You have your connection is through rowing. Um, would love to hear just a little bit about your experience rowing. I think you've been doing that now since you started at age fifty four. Yeah, You're still engaged with that. Well, I didn't row last year, I must say, but um, uh, the rowing club rowing clubs all over the country or over the world actually were worried needs to say about COVID. And so they all went into rowing just singles, one person in one boat. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, with very, certainly at our rowing club, very strict uh, masking and hand washing stuff behavior. I didn't particularly initially feel that that was going to be safe enough for someone of my age. So I didn't row, but previously I have it. Um, it was something that I saw growing up in the Philadelphia area and always wanted to do. There was a, a student worked down the hall for me uh, here who I wears was wearing uh, rowing t-shirts and she was a rowing teacher and a rowing coxswain and she convinced me to start. I found it quite fun. Uh, it's lovely to be out on the water. Mm -hmm. You see herons and eagles and mm -hmm. fish jump in your boat. And we in mm -hmm. fact saw a dead body one time. Oh. And uh, people now I'm sure are camping alongside the, the Mississippi River, in, uh, which runs through Minneapolis and St. Paul. Mm -hmm. 
they have closed um, the locks so that big boats, big barges that used to come through don't mm. now. So it makes it a very pleasant um, place to row. Mm -hmm. But it's in a, uh, in a gorge, and so there are hills where people can, um, can camp. There are, needless to say, bridges over the river where people can jump, which mm -hmm. they do a mm -hmm. couple a year. And um, so, yeah, I, I took up rowing. I helped teach rowing. Um, for women, it's an interesting um, opportunity to participate in something that you don't, you, no one else has done either. So a lot of women come out uh, to do rowing who have not done any other kind of sport. Hmm. And um, it, I have, so I, I wasn't part of this group, but, but they, um, uh, try very hard and sometimes are not very good. <laughs> and um, sometimes they quit <laughs> and uh, sometimes they stick it out, which is just amazing. Uh, one of the things I hadn't thought of until recently is that uh, if you're, if you have experience being an athlete and being on teams, you know that um, it's not always easy. The coach is not always going to be pleasant. They're going to, people are going to snipe at each other for, um, I don't know, dropping the ball or, or doing some bonehead play and you get over it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think if you haven't been on a team before this and the coach yells at you, mm -hmm. you take it, really seriously uh, as you're being picked on. Uh, Kathy, the woman who, who got me into rowing was a coxswain in college. And she said that she loved coxing for the boys because they, she could yell at them or uh. they could pick on each other. And then the next day they would forget about it. Mm -hmm. She said with women, it was really tough because they would um, take it to heart and they would worry about it and they they uh, it, it really hurt the team because they couldn't um, get on together without worrying about their status I don't know it was um, I, and I think you see this I, I saw some of this behavior or feelings at the rowing club mm -hmm. of, um, yeah, that's interesting. We're so relational. We take those those things personally. You know, in the few minutes we have left, I just would love to hear how you how you um, how you think about if you think about it, getting older. Um, and you've been with your life partner fifty six years, I believe. So, do you give much thought to to the aging process to getting older? Yes, I'm not in favor of it. 
<laughs> I'm not in favor of it, but I prefer it to the alternative, I guess, right. is the rest of that. Yeah, um, I mentioned that we were, I was sick and my husband was also uh, three years ago. And of course, that is a time to um, start reckoning what's going to happen. Um, we thought about it and really haven't done much. Mm -hmm. um, we live in a big old house and um, the thought of moving out of it is really difficult. We have so much stuff, mm -hmm. <laughs> big furniture, I don't know. It's um, We um, threaten the kids that if they would, for every box of their stuff that they would take out, we would take out five. And since they haven't taken out any, we haven't... <laughs> um, manage to to clean up much mm -hmm. do your sons live in the same area as you one of them does um and he's he's in a house which i guess now is too small for him so I, he won't take any of his stuff mm. and his wife's stuff and the grandmother's stuff because the grandmother died and um they saved some of her furniture, which is now in our garage. It's really, I don't know, we're not hoarders, we're just pack rats, maybe. I, <laughs> I empathize with that. Yeah. I certainly do. Uh, anything else uh, that I, you would like? Oh, go ahead. No, I think what, what people are doing, which makes the most sense eventually, is needing care to have someone move into the house. And I guess that's what I um, I envision. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that something external is going to make the decision for you. Yeah. 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 Anything else you'd like to mention before we close? I'm very happy with my status in life. Good. Um, I wish I've had one one shot of vaccine. And uh, look forward to the next. Well, Bibi, thank you so much for talking with us today. We've really enjoyed it. And we, um, I think you're our first senior scientist. So it's been really fascinating to hear some of your, a little bit about your history in that world. It certainly has. has. Not to mention your travels around the world. Oh, so. Well, yes. I think that's uh, one of the un, untold advantages of being a scientist your colleagues really are around the world mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. you interact with them either physically or now uh, virtually all the mm -hmm. time mm -hmm. right right well again thank you yes and listeners please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts become an active participant in our community through our facebook group and no matter your age participate in our monthly zoom gatherings You'll find everything you need to know about women over 70 on womenover70.com. See you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myths that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. 
Find us at womenover70.com.